welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Thank you, Tim. Well, it's uh, good to be with all of you today. I uh, have my wife and I actually, you know, we come to Carmel like everybody else in the Bay Area does just to enjoy a day or whatever, a weekend, and have passed by this church like several times and kind of wondered, wow, I wonder what's going on there. So when I was invited to come here and speak, I thought, absolutely, I'm going to Carmel. That'll be great. You know, today I want us to look at a passage in the New Testament letter of James that was just written or just uh, read, of course. And this is a passage that actually combines many of the themes that, that uh, James has already covered in this letter by the time we get to chapter 4. So in this letter, James has written about wealth and how, like a withering plant, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. He's written about the significance of our speech. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And he's written about pride. He says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. You can see James is very straightforward, isn't he, in the way that he communicates. But here in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, James kind of brings these themes together and he addresses how we should think about and plan for the future. Now, I know that in a group like this, I'm sure some of you are planners, like big-time planners. Any planners here? Uh, so you look at your calendars, and you want to know what's coming, right? Not just days in advance, but weeks in advance, maybe months in advance. You set up the play dates and the doctor's appointments for the kids. Uh, you plan the vacations down to the minute you make the dinner reservations weeks in advance. And let's be honest, you get very annoyed at the non-planners in your life, right? They're so irresponsible. But you non-planners, you sort of revel in your spontaneity and your flexibility. Easy come, easy go, you like to say. I mean, if you're scrolling through Instagram and you see a beautiful waterfall, you might just pack your bags right there and drive off to Oregon just to see it, right? You know, a lot of this comes down to how we view the future. Uh, Professor Mark Schiffman did a, a survey to discover why so few college students are studying the humanities or the liberal arts, as we call them. And he attributes this steady decline to fear of the future. Listen to what he says. According to Amazon, the most highlighted passage in all books read on Kindle, highlighted almost twice as often as any other passage, comes from the Hunger Games. Here's the quote from the Hunger Games. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. He goes on. Students want continual reassurance they're equipping themselves. They clothe themselves in an armor of achievement they hope will protect them against all uncertainties of the job market, of course, but also the deeper uncertainties about their status, their identities, their self-worth. Disciplines that have a technical character and a clear arc of accumulated knowledge and skills leading to a foreseeable career goal reinforce the feeling they're working steadily, assignment by assignment, toward gaining more control over an uncertain future. Isn't that fascinating? 
that sentence from the Hunger Games because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them says it all. Whether you're a planner or a non-planner, the reality is, or the reality that we won't be able to, to deal with what comes our way is, is daunting for most of us. And so James addresses this subject and he shows us and tells us how we should think about the future, how we should think about planning for our futures. And he begins by mentioning both what we should not say as well as what we should say as it pertains to the future. Remember, what comes out of our mouth is important because ultimately it reveals what's in our hearts. And this is very important to James. That's why he starts out in verse 13 and he says, now listen. This is like him grabbing you by the collar and saying, this is really important. Listen up. And he starts out and he tells us what not to say with regards to the future. He says, don't say this. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Again, it's not so much what is said here that is wrong, but the assumptions underneath it. Notice this person assumes they control their future as they plan four different things. They plan where they will go. We will go to this city or that. They plan how long they'll be there. We will spend a year there. They plan what they'll do. We will carry on business. Finally, they plan what they will accomplish, and we will make money. So they have it all figured out. Notice those two words that are repeated. We will. We will. We will go to this or that city. We will spend a year there. We will carry on business. We will make money. There are no contingencies. Throughout this letter, James has come down rather hard on the wealthy. And there's no question the people he's describing here are, are people who have some means. Some of the people he wrote to no doubt were poor. Others were wealthy. The time in which this letter was written was a period of, of great commercial activity. And so some of the people James were writing to were successful in their businesses. James is not condemning that. Work is a good thing. Work is a gift from God. Nor do I think James is condemning making a profit, even a good profit. The book of Proverbs says all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. As we'll see, James, I don't believe, is even saying we shouldn't plan ahead. Proverbs also says, a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. What James is condemning is an attitude underlying all those actions, an attitude that says, who needs God? I got it all figured out. I can do it all myself. I am in control of what happens to my life. Prosperity can give us a sense of independence that's dangerous to our spiritual condition. And that lie is actually exposed in the next verse. He says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You see, when we plan our lives as if we're in control, we're forgetting 
a number of things. First, we're forgetting that we have limited knowledge. James says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You have limited knowledge. You can't control everything. You're driving 65 miles per hour, trying to be careful on the freeway, but you don't know what the guy in the car next to you will do. You do everything you can to invest your money wisely. You read all the right books. You act on the very best advice, but you don't know what world event might happen to cause the stock market to crash. You meet a person and you fall in love. You're careful not to fall too fast. You take plenty of time. You expose that person to your parents and to your friends. You get counseling and you finally decide this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. But you don't know what might change that person into someone very different from what you thought. Do not buy into the illusion that you can control everything because you don't know. And let's be honest, this is the opposite of what we're so often told today. I mean, it's like uh, the end of that movie, Back to the Future. Some of you will remember that. Remember Doc Brown and Marty? And remember what Doc Brown says to Marty? He says, Marty, the future is what you make it. Make it a good one. And that's a lie. Because you don't always make the future. Sometimes the future makes you. So you have limited knowledge. But he also says you have limited time. He asks the question, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. When James says your life is a mist, he's, he's not talking about a thick Monterey fog that sticks around all day. He's talking about Palestine where water droplets from condensation near the sea would evaporate in seconds because of the scorching heat. It's like a puffing smoke. Now you see it, now you don't. James is pointing, of course, to the frailty of life. I think of my own mother. My, my father was a dentist who practiced dentistry for 40-some-odd years in Palo Alto. And finally, at age 65, he retired, and they had big plans, you know, to enjoy life and play golf and travel around the world. But two months after my dad retired, my mom collapsed and died of a heart attack. I think of a formal elder in our church, in the church in which I served, a, a wonderful, faithful, good man. He, he retired, and he, he took a trip to Europe with his wife, the first trip they'd ever taken. And he came home. And the very day he came home, he had a massive stroke. He's been in a wheelchair ever since. He still loves God. He still loves the church. But in one single day, his life changed drastically. And I think of how in January 2020, just two years ago, we all had plans, didn't we? We had plans. Little did we know a worldwide pandemic would change everything. Our travel plans, perhaps our wedding plans, perhaps our work plans, perhaps our plans for an education. Who would have thought that over 900,000 people would lose their life in our country alone? I heard a story about Kirk Cousins. He's the, he's the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He has a rather odd sculpture outside his front door in his home. It's a glass, as you can see, with that's filled with rocks. In fact, nearly 720 rocks to begin with, he had in there. 
For cousins, each rock represents each remaining month of his life, provided he makes it to 90. And so every single day, Kirk removes one rock and he carries that rock with him, reminding himself that once that month is over, it's gone. He can't get it back. It's a daily visual reminder that his earth, his time on earth is dwindling. That may sound morbid to us, but it's, it's biblical. In fact, the idea actually came to Kirk Cousins when he was reading the 90th Psalm, which says, teach us to number our days that we might present to you, God, a heart of wisdom. So we need to understand our days are numbered. And who knows, there might be fewer rocks in that jar than he imagined. He might have 700 months. He might have one month or one day. So that's what James tells us not to say. But he doesn't stop there. Like a good teacher, he goes on and he tells us what to say in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this is not some kind of like superstitious tagline that we add to every statement of what we're planning to do. Again, it's pointing to a perspective on life, one that reveals both our humility and our dependence on the Lord. We don't know everything, but the Lord does. Think about that. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I mean, God knows everything that has ever happened or will happen, every detail of your life. His knowledge extends to the smallest, tiniest details. He knows and he cares about whatever you're worried about right now. That ought to comfort us. His knowledge of the future ought to comfort us. J.A. Motyer says this, to be sure the words, if the Lord wills, can be a protective superstition, but they can also be the sweetest and most comfortable reassurance to a humble and trustful heart. James says there are two things that we are dependent on the Lord for, how long we will live and what we will do. He says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. It's like that old line that's been used so much. I don't know who holds the future, but I know, or I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's like a cliche, right? We use it so much, but it's true. See, the only thing we can count on is him. He never changes. He prom his promises never fail. He'll never forsake us. His steadfast love and faithfulness endure forever. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't make plans for our future, but simply that we make our plans with a humble recognition that God is in control. Let me say that again. We make our plans with a humble recognition that God is in control. There's a healthy balance in our life between recognizing our freedom and our responsibility as human beings made in the image of God on the one hand, and on the other hand, recognizing God's absolute sovereignty and control on the other hand. And if we place too much emphasis on our own freedom and our own responsibility, then life becomes an unmanageable burden because everything is up to us. 
But if we place too much emphasis on God's sovereignty and control, then we kind of sit back and do nothing and everything is God's fault. As we think about and plan for our future, we need to keep this balance in mind. I have real freedom to make choices, good choices, bad choices that have real consequences. And that is kind of a daunting freedom, isn't it, that God has given us. But at the same time, there's a good, holy, loving, sovereign, powerful God over all of it. And so we say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I don't think we can fully grasp and reconcile this tension between human freedom and God's sovereignty with our finite minds, but it's true. And one thing we need to realize about the pride that thinks we're in control is that it really is a big deal. Like, it really matters. James says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. I like how the Phillips translation puts it, you get a certain pride in yourself in planning your future with such confidence. The pride is not just in planning the future, but in your ability to make it happen in the future. And James says that's not just an innocent mistake. He says all such boasting is what? It's evil. Um, there, there are some things, you know, in the Bible that the Bible tells us to boast in. Like boast in God, right? Boast in the cross. That's proper boasting. But arrogantly boasting about our ability to control our life and our future, James says, the word of God says, is downright evil. And it's not just what we do. It's what we don't do. That's what James says in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. That's evil too. Now we're back to personal responsibility, specifically what we call sins of omission. So we can sin by doing something evil, like boasting, but we can also sin by not doing something that's good. Earlier in James, he says pure religion is to look after and care for widows and orphans in their distress. To not do that when you have the opportunity to do that is sin. In the context of this paragraph that we're looking at, what's the good we ought to do? Well, it's to make our plans with a humble recognition that God is in control. And it's to say, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. This has been so helpful for me to think about in the last uh, five, six months of my own life. Um, when Lynn and I arrived at our church in 1986, uh, we planned to be there for like two or three years at the most. We thought it would just kind of be a temporary stop along the way. Little did we know the Lord had different plans. We actually stayed 35 years. I mean, I even kind of tried to leave a few times, but uh, it didn't work out. But when I turned 63, people in our church started asking me, are you retiring? And I never knew quite how to answer to that question. Part of me wanted to say, well, do you want me to retire? But I was at that age where, you know, people retire. And I finally did that five months ago. Although I like to think of retirement as reassignment. I like that better. But whatever you call it, I mean, the bottom line is you have to plan for it, right? You have to make 
save some money, right? You have to figure out what you're going to do, where you're going to live. You got to do all that. But, but at this stage of my life, I'm learning that I have to hold all that loosely as well. And to understand, if the Lord wills, I will live and do this or that. I think for all of us, whatever stage of life we're in, it comes down to five things. And so I want to give you these five things as kind of takeaways from this message today. First of all, live dependently. Live dependently. Understand that you are not in control. God is. You all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Live dependently. Second, live curiously. You don't know everything. Um, So you can just live your life with an eye to learning more. Keep your eyes open. Have a kind of playful curiosity in which you look for the surprises God will bring your way. You don't know the future. You don't know know the bad things that could happen in the future, but guess what? You don't even know some of the wonderful surprises God might bring your way in the future. Third, live gratefully. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know what you have today, and you could give thanks for what you have today. Give thanks for the food on your table. Give thanks for the roof over your head. Give thanks for your ability to even come to church and worship God this morning. Fourth, live confidently. Again, you don't know what the future holds, but you know the one who holds the future, and he is good, right? You have what Peter calls his precious and magnificent promises. So don't fear the future, but face it with confidence in a good and faithful and loving God. And here's the last thing, and this is the most important thing. Live eternally. Live eternally. So live for what lasts. People last forever, don't they? God's word lasts forever. Uh, One day, there will be a new creation that we live in that will last forever. Colossians 3 tells us, set your mind on things above not on things of this earth. You see, every single one of us in this room will live forever. The question is, where? Where? It struck me as I was thinking about this that, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we are guaranteed eternity. Think about that. If we put our trust and our faith and our allegiance in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we can know, we can know we'll spend eternity with him. So none of us knows what tomorrow will bring, but we can know where we'll spend eternity. The Apostle John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I can know what eternity brings. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, I encourage you to just take that step today. Just say, yes, Lord, I trust in you. I believe in you. You are my Savior. I believe you died for me. You rose again for me. And I accept the forgiveness that you offer to me based on the payment that you made on the cross. And so I just encourage you, if you're not sure about your eternity, just to make that decision.
today. Would you bow your heads with me? As your heads are bowed, I want to just take a moment and give you the opportunity to talk to the Lord. Perhaps he's been speaking to you this morning. Perhaps uh, you needed to hear what his word said today. Uh, perhaps you find yourself um, uncertain about the future, having to make decisions and, and at times wondering, Lord, who really is in control? Perhaps some things have happened to you that um, you didn't expect and that have been very painful and, and you don't know why. And maybe this is just an opportunity for you to come before the Lord and, um, and say to him, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I think for all of us, uh, the boasting that I have spoken about and that we have read from, from James is something that we fall into at times. And so it's good, it's good to just take some time to confess our sins. So just take, take a few moments for time with God. Now, I'd like you to hear this wonderful assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.